that changed the course of history. He is not here. He is risen just like he said. Amen? Just like he said, Jesus is alive. He has risen. And the implications of that are phenomenal. It's why we can say happy Easter and uh, eat eggs and stuff our face with chocolate and lamb or whatever else you're gonna go to in a moment and really mean it. Happy Easter. It's not an empty phrase. And we're continuing our New Life series today and uh, we're giving the title New Power. And if you have a Bible with you, turn to Romans chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry because the words when we get there in a few minutes will hopefully appear on the screen. But the second reason you don't need to worry is you can probably guess what I'm speaking on today <laughs> on Easter Sunday. There's no spoiler alerts. Some things in life are predictable. Taxes, death, and the guy who beat it, who we talk about every single Easter Sunday. Actually, if you're our guest here today, firstly, you're so very, very welcome. My name's James. It's nice to see you. But you need to know if you are a guest that we talk about Jesus every single week here. Uh, Jesus actually came to earth, just like hundreds of prophecies from the Old Testament said he would. He actually lived this perfect life and then he died. Like he was physically, literally killed. He was in that grave from Friday afternoon until Sunday morning. And then Sunday morning comes And in this dead body, in the grave, heart starts beating. Lungs start rising. He starts to move and he gets up and he walks out of the grave. And I absolutely love the Easter story for all sorts of wonderful big picture reasons. But I also love the Easter story because of, as recorded in the the Gospels, because of some of the really very seemingly incidental details. There's this little verse in, uh, in John um, chapter 20 uh, of a kind of moment where one of the disciples goes into the empty tomb and it says Simon Peter walks in after him and he sees the kind of the linen cloths there. But I think it's in verse seven. It doesn't just say uh, that they're just kind of scattered around. It says the face cloth that had been on Jesus's head was not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place all by itself. And you might think, and so what? But here we just see in, this, in the stunning detail, this commentary on the absolute incredible nature of the risen Jesus. His death was messy. It was undignified. It was bloody. It was gruesome. It was embarrassing even. He was naked on that cross. But his resurrection... Oh, that was an entirely different story. Jesus was raised to life. And when he was, he took on the dignity befitting of him. He simply got up in a completely unhurried manner. Like the Lord of all creation that he is, he takes this few moments to put things in order. He even made the bed and folded the linen cloths. Jesus didn't somehow manage to cheat death. It wasn't somehow that he stumbled out of the grave. It wasn't somehow like, oh, what happened? here and out he comes and staggers his way out. No, no, no. He gets up purposefully. He makes his bed. He makes sure everything is in order and he rises and he rises and he walks out as the conquering hero that he is and he strode out of the tomb like he owned the place because he does. 
This is our King. This is our Saviour. And at the centre of our faith lies an empty tomb that changes everything. So Romans chapter six, Paul talks about the resurrection here of Jesus and the absolute difference it makes. Don't forget this. The guy writing this stuff, Paul, he was a guy who previously didn't believe. He didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe that the the cross had any purpose or any meaning. He definitely didn't believe it had any power. In fact, he didn't just not believe, he was vehemently against it. But his opinion changed in the space of a few minutes one afternoon. Why? Because he met the risen Lord Jesus. He met the resurrected Christ. You can read all about it in Acts chapter nine and 22 and 26. And in a moment, Christianity's biggest enemy becomes its biggest proponent. And Paul spends the first five chapters of Romans explaining some of the things that he now believes to be true. And so if you're exploring faith today, if you've, if you've kind of, I am, I am sure in a crowd this size, there are people who have just been dragged along by some family member <laughs> this morning. And you're kind of like, oh yeah, that's me. If that's you, you're so welcome. If you're somebody who comes with a bit of doubts, if you're somebody who's been raised in church and you're kind of like, I'm not really entirely sure if that's true. Do you know what? That's cool. You're so welcome. It's fine to have those things, things and thoughts because some of the first disciples, they had doubts too. It's this incredible story in, in Matthew 28, which is a few months after the, uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus appears to his disciples just before he ascends back to heaven. So he's literally just about to start floating back up to heaven and, he, and he's speaking to his disciples and he says some of them worshipped and some doubted. Now, think about it for a moment. If they had doubts, it's probably okay that you did. These are people who walked with him, saw him in the flesh, walking around on the earth. They, they saw him die on the cross. They know he'd been de- knew he'd been dead for three days inside the grave. And then he hung out with them a few months later. And now he's just beginning to literally float up in front of them, up to the sky. And they still doubted. You think, really? How did you, you see it all? How do you doubt there? But they did. And the reason they did is because they had some big questions, right? They had some unanswered questions. They thought Jesus was coming to overthrow Roman rule. The Romans had oppressed them for over 100 years and they thought Jesus was coming and he's the king and he's gonna get rid of all these Romans. But the Romans are still there and now Jesus isn't and he's now going. They had some big questions. Here's the key. They learned to trust him, not because they had all their questions answered, but because they knew that Jesus had raised from the dead. Resurrection is the key moment. If you're exploring, if you're uncertain, if you're a bit doubtful, if you're a bit critical, don't look anywhere else about Christianity and explore this, that, or the other. Explore the resurrection because if this didn't happen, the rest of it's pointless. The Bible even says that, it's futile. But if this did happen, this changes everything. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed Paul completely. Romans chapter six, Paul explains one other thing here, and this is what I'm focusing on. One other thing that the resurrection shows us about Christianity, which might be, Paul argues, the most convincing proof of all. The resurrection means the gospel is power. It has power, it is power. It changes and transforms lives. We heard just a minute ago, Two powerful testimonies. I saw the difference Jesus made in my mum's life and I realised he must be true. Listen, we've got to ask the question. Is this gospel true? And how do we see it? We see it 
in the evidence of the lives transformed and changed in yourself and in other people. See, the gospel is not just some competing kind of theory of religion, Paul says. It's not just a new idea. It's not just a a new way to live. It's not just a new and improved set of morals. The gospel is actual life-giving, heart-regenerating power. And the proof of that is the way it changes lives. And you've got to ask the question if you're looking in on guys like Paul. Firstly, how did Paul change? Like, how did he go from persecutor to worshiper? How did he go from harsh, cynic, and critic to kind of devoted follower? And secondly, if it's not real, why did he bother? <laughs> like, why did he bother doing all the stuff he did? Because if it's a hoax and if it's false, like, and let's be honest, there are some hoaxes and there are some false kind of religions over the years. You can look at that kind of stuff. Usually what happens when something is false is the leader or the leaders get one of three things. They either get money, they get power, or they get sex. That's generally what kind of happens in, in sort of fo- false hoaxes and stuff. You look at Paul, he didn't get any of those things. None of the disciples got any of those things. Money, they gave it all away. Sex, they went around saying, no, you can only have sex between one man and one woman, husband and wife, and that's it. It's not kind of on tap with whoever you want, whenever you want. And the third thing, power. They spent their entire lives being persecuted, and ultimately all of them were tortured and died a death. They didn't get a whole lot of power. You don't cling on to something that you know is not true when, it, when that happens to you. That's where you've got to go and explore. And so chapter six begins with a question. Verse one, what shall we say then, says Paul? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now that is a really good and perfectly natural question because for five chapters, Paul has been hammering home the message that salvation is a free gift to all who receive it. It's how Shamu started our meeting today. It's a free gift, freely given to us. Every other world religion operates on the premise that you get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. Do good things, good things come to you. Do bad things, bad things come to you. Every other kind of model of philosophy and way of life and other religions are you obey and therefore God accepts you if you obey well enough. You're a good enough person, God will be okay with you in the end. And so that's your motivation to be good. I need to do these things and not do those things so God accepts me. But the gospel completely flips that round on its head. It says, God has accepted me because of Jesus and therefore now I will obey. God's accepted me as a free act of grace. All I have to do now, all I can do is to receive it like a gift. This is the great exchange of the gospel. Everything John said a few moments ago as he stood here, Jesus takes all of my rubbish, all of my junk, all of my mess, all of my guilt, all of my brokenness, and he gives me all of his status. But I have to receive that as a gift. Can't earn it, I don't deserve it, I have to receive it. And Paul knows then, if you've received this incredible wealth from all Jesus as a gift, if Jesus paid it all, Paul knows that this raises a question. If Jesus pays it all, isn't this now, like now that we have some kind of like divine credit card with an unlimited balance that we can kind of just flash whenever we want and do whatever we want and spend whatever we want and it doesn't matter because Jesus loves me. I can behave however I want. Put it on the credit card. Put that on the divine credit card. I'll have a bit of that as well. And Paul's answer in verse two, by no means. By the way, this is the strongest way of saying no in Greek. It's like, heck no. (laughs) Absolutely not. No, 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 no. How can we who died to sin, he says, still live in it? 
What does Paul mean? Like, what does he mean we've died to sin? Because if you're anything like me, it doesn't mean we've lost interest in it, does it? <laughs> it's not like suddenly anything that's not perfect is suddenly like, oh, terrible. The reason, we, the reason we do it is because it's nice, right? That's a kind of thing. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'll never, ever, ever want to sin ever again. I will never be tempted to do anything ever again. Hmm, no. Doesn't mean that we're slowly moving away from it either. Look, died here is in the past tense. It's something that's already happened. It's done. We have died to sin. So let's just keep reading verse three because Paul explains what it means. Do you not know, verse three, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here's the thing, when we put, accept Jesus, when we put our faith in him and we get saved, we die to sin. And we die to sin in two ways. First way is we renounce it. Everything that we've just witnessed in these baptisms here, that's what the picture is. It's literally we go down into the water, we're down, we're dead, and we leave our sinful past behind. Our sinful past ways, they lie dead in the grave. And this is what repentance is. This is at the heart of what it is to become a Christian. It's not just saying some words to God so that I'll be good now. It's not just kind of saying some words so get God to be good to us. It's not just using it as a sort of ticket to heaven, like I kind of when I get to heaven's door, I'll, I'll, I'll hand in my repentance card and say, look, I did it. I said the right words, let me in. It's not a get out of jail free card. Repentance is a literally a turning It's once I was going that way and now I'm gonna turn, I'm gonna renounce it all and I'm going that way. I once was following the things of the world. I love what Grace said. I don't wanna follow the things of the flesh. I don't wanna follow the things of the world anymore. I wanna follow Jesus. That's what repentance is. I'm not going that way. I'm going this way now. And conversion, becoming a Christian, doesn't start the moment you were naturally born. It doesn't start because you were raised in a Christian home. It doesn't start because you came to church. It doesn't start because you read your Bible a bit. It doesn't start because you prayed a bit. It doesn't start because you started doing good things. It doesn't start because you stopped doing some bad things. It starts and begins in repentance. We renounce sin. We turn from it. We're dead to it. Now, of course, it doesn't mean a Christian suddenly becomes perfect. Like, just come and hang out with me and my kids this afternoon. You will see straight away that a Christian does not become perfect. When they start squabbling about how many eggs, I will just eat them all. (laughs) Not even going to feel guilty about it. (laughs) But we die to sin. And we live a life now. I'm not going that way, I'm going that way. We live a life now that proves it. And the second thing, back to the baptism imagery for a moment, we don't stay under the water. We get pulled up again to new life. Saying we are dead to sin means that through his resurrection, Jesus has destroyed the reign of sin in our lives. And so when we accept Jesus, he pours the the power of the resurrection into our lives. The same power, get this, this is mind-blowing. The same power that conquered the grave now lives in you and lives in me if you're a believer. I I can't do that, it's just too hard. What, like harder than coming back from the dead? (laughs) Like what is too hard? That the resurrected power of Jesus, of the power of the grave, living in you cannot overcome and accomplish. I can do all things, says Jesus. That doesn't mean I can literally go and fly and do this, that, and the other. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because I have the power of the resurrection of the grave lives in me now. 
And what's more, Jesus' resurrection life becomes ours. And because of that, Paul says, we have access to Jesus' resurrection power over sin. Look at verse five. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What's it mean to be united with Christ? We often say, if you come to this church on a regular basis, you'll hear us talk about being in Christ. The Bible uses that phrase a lot, in Christ. What does it mean? Now, if I tell somebody that I follow Jesus, I follow Christ, people get that. Okay, I follow him. You say you're under Christ, like he's over me, I'm under him. Yep, kind of understand what it means to have someone over us and we're under them. Saved by Christ, we can kind of understand that. Inspired by Jesus, yep, check, get that. They're kind of concepts I understand. Jesus is leader, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is savior. But in Christ, united to him, what's that mean? Well, just imagine for a moment, as soon as this meeting finishes and you've had your egg and whatever other thing we'll get given, you're jetting off to the airport, right? You're going on like some lovely sunny holiday somewhere. Just imagine for a moment, you're at the airport, you're about to board the plane and that plane is heading off to, I don't know, Mexico. You're off to Mexico this afternoon. What sort of relationship, this is a slightly weird illustration, but just go with it for a moment. What sort of relationship do you need with that plane? Like, does it help to be under the plane? Like, to submit, I'm, I'm going to the airport, I'm going to submit myself to the plane's eminent authority in the whole flying to Mexico thing. I'm under the plane. Or does it help to be inspired by the plane? Like, to watch it fly off and think to yourself, like, I hope one day I'm going to be able to do that too. Or what about, you know, like, following the plane? I follow the plane. Like, you know it's going to Mexico, right? So it kind of stands to reason that if you take note of the general direction it's going in and you pursue it carefully enough, eventually you're going to get yourself to Mexico too. <laughs> not going to happen, is it? Of course, the relationship, you know where this is going, that you need with the plane is not to be under it, not to be behind it, not to be inspired by it. You need to be in it. Why? Because by being in the plane, what happens to the plane is going to happen to you. So you get to the, I don't even know how far Mexico is, but you get to the hotel at some point later on tonight or tomorrow morning or whenever it is to get to Mexico and you ring your mum and say, mum, I've arrived. You ring your mum from the hotel airport and she's like, did you, did you get to Mexico? It's not actually the right question, is it? The actual question is, did the plane get to Mexico? And if the answer to that is yes, well, the obvious next question is, were you on the plane? Because if you were on the plane and the plane got to Mexico, where are you going to? You're going to Mexico too. The issue is not so much what did you do, but what did the plane do? Now, it's obviously not a perfect illustration, but that's at the heart of being united with Christ. Let's just mix our metaphors and our images and our illustrations for a moment because united is also like a a horticultural term. It's like when you take the branches, I'm no gardener, but it's like when you take the branches off one tree and you, you graft them into another tree. When you accept Jesus, the spirit takes the dead branch of your life and it grafts it into Jesus' living roots and his life starts to flow in and through you. And at the heart, this is at the heart of the biblical idea of being united with Christ is this idea that now in Christ, whatever is true of him is now true of you. He died and so you died and he is raised and so we are and will fully one day be raised. He's vindicated and so we're vindicated. He's loved and so we are loved and so on. All because we are in him. This changes everything. Verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing 
so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You're no longer enslaved to sin, it's gone. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's the question on this Easter Sunday 2022 for you. Is are you on the plane? Are you on the plane? Paul asked the question here, have you experienced the power of the, resur- of the power of the gospel in your life? And does your life now show it? Because according to Paul, the resurrection is not just some past historical event, it's the power to make new in the present. The gospel is not a set of new moral regulations of what you do and don't do. It's not a new resolution. It's not a new philosophy of ideas. It's not about being inspired or being under or even following, even though all of those things are true. It's about being in. It's about the infusion of resurrection power into your life. You are now grafted into the vine and the power now runs through. Next week, we're gonna talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. Come back next Sunday. Don't just be a once or twice a year church attender. Come back next Sunday as we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit to bring and give new life. See, the gospel is not just about turning over a new leaf. It's about receiving new life. Are you in? Have you received? Not do you come to church every week, or you pray a prayer, you prayed it once, but are you born again? And are you sure? You can be sure right now. Bible doesn't say you need to have every single question answered, every I dotted and every T crossed. It says everyone who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth will be saved. You've become a new creation heard it earlier in one of the contributions in worship. The old has gone. It's buried with him by baptism into his death. Now you're raised to new life. You're on the plane. Verse four, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you're on that plane, if you're united with Christ, walk in newness of life now. The old has gone. Death's been defeated. Why are you following that way? Why are you looking to those things? They're worthless and dead and useless and not helpful in any way, shape or form. You have turned, you are dead to that. Now walk this way, walk in it. Know this, guilt has been defeated. Injustice has been defeated. Addictions have been defeated. Sorrow has been defeated. Despair has been defeated. Listen, if Jesus is raised from the dead, That means now that guilt doesn't have to have the last word in our lives. You've made a lot of mistakes. Frankly, just join the club. (laughs) Like join the club, honestly, join the club. You've made some mistakes. Join the club. Oh, you don't know how many, you don't know how bad, you don't know how serious it is, James. You don't know what. No, you're right, I don't, but God does and he loves you just the same. Jesus took the full penalty of our sin on the cross so there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guilt is gone. You know, also injustice doesn't have to have the last word either. Yeah, we live in a world that sucks, frankly, sometimes. It really does. I don't have any nice 
straight, simple answers for you about that other than sin is broken everything and messed everything up. We live in a world where unfair things happen, but the resurrection shows us that God is gonna right all wrongs and he's gonna restore a thousand times and a thousand times and a thousand times more than you ever lost. And he's even gonna redeem all those bad things for your joy. If Jesus rose from the dead, that means injustice doesn't have the last word because God has the last word. It also means, just reference the word came in worship earlier, the addictions don't have the last word. You might feel absolute captive to your sins, but in the resurrection, God has released a power on earth that destroys all the powers of sin, Satan, and death. Doesn't have the last word. It doesn't have the last word. I'm not saying it's quick and easy progress process. You might struggle every single day of your life. I'm just saying that the resurrection is the promise of ultimate healing and the motivation for you to get up tomorrow. It's the motivation for you to get up tomorrow and keep pressing forward because God has the last word. And you know, sorrow doesn't have the last word either. The last couple of years have been difficult for many people and sorrow is a real serious issue. The sober truth of this life is it doesn't take, that's not new in a pandemic. (laughs) It's not new in a pandemic as if suddenly, well, two years is now. The reality is and the truth of this life, you live long enough, eventually everything that we love will fall apart or die. That's the reality of a fallen world. Everything departs at some point. Maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one, it's horrendous. Or you've watched someone with Alzheimer's or whatever in their last days, utterly horrendous. The resurrection shows you that that kind of pain does not have the last word. Jesus has the last word. And you and I are heading to a place where God wipes away every tear, where he binds up every wound, where he restores everything that is broken. And despair doesn't have the last word either. Listen, as long as Jesus is alive, there is hope for you. If you're not dead, God's not done. (laughs) If you're not dead, God's not done. And if you are dead as a believer, well, you're actually more alive than you've ever been before. (laughs) And you don't care anymore (laughs) because you're in eternal glory for all time. Death is not the end. It's merely the beginning of true life. The empty tomb means that death doesn't have the last word. Christian, be confident in this. Jesus walked out of the tomb. The all-conquering king has all power, even power to conquer death, and that power is now in your life. The resurrection changes everything, and it changes people, even you, even me, even the person you're thinking, it's just impossible that they are ever gonna change. Well, just as we finish with this, just think about some of those early Christians for a moment. Paul was harsh and abrasive and quite possibly a bigot. I mean, he he was involved in the murder of believers, all sorts of stuff, but his encounter with Jesus made him a man who considered himself the chief of sinners and a servant to the church. He was completely changed. Peter was a coward, but his encounter with the resurrected Jesus transformed him into a man of courage, the rock on whom the church Jesus built. And then one day Peter would die crucified upside down, having watched his wife be crucified as well. The resurrection completely changed everything for him. The apostle John, he was arrogant and quite frankly vengeful most likely, but his encounter with Jesus led him to being the apostle most known for his beautiful and tender expression of God's love, who gladly submitted to torture. He even gladly got exiled. That's where he wrote Revelation from, so that others would come to know the love of God. 
several of the prominent women in the early church, well, to put it mildly, they had some scandalous pasts. Some had been oppressed and abused, some were prostitutes, some had been demon oppressed, but their encounters with Jesus made them mighty women, beautiful, full of courage and strength, utterly changed and utterly transformed. And now, speaking from some 2,000 years ago, Paul says through the ages, he can change He, Jesus, can change you too as well. Have you experienced the gospel's power? Have you experienced the power of Jesus? Not have you prayed a prayer or decided to be more spiritual or get back into church, all of which are good things, but have you been born again? Have you received Jesus into your life and experienced his power? And if you have right now, there are people in the room right now who you know in the past you have, but right now you are not walking in this. You are not living in this. I know you are because you've been dragged along with family on Easter Sunday. This is what happens every year. You can receive his power once again coursing into your life today. You can't fly, fly that plane to Mexico or wherever it is to go in. So stop trying to do it yourself. Stop trying to do it yourself. Is it going well for you so far? Yield to his power. Surrender to Jesus. Stop trying to do it all yourself and accept his done. It is finished. It is over. And he rose to new life so that you can walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that today has not been about putting on a show. It's not even been about presenting the best version of ourselves as a church. It's not the best meeting we've ever done. It's not the best talk that's ever been spoken from this platform. Not the best songs we've ever sung. It's got nothing to do with any of those things. Because today is the day we celebrate that you're alive and we believe by faith that you are present with us now and that the power of the gospel is at work now. In Jesus' name. That the same power that conquered the grave lives in those who have been born again to a new and living hope. Jesus, right now, we just, let's just come before him where he is. If, if Jesus walked in the room right now, what would you ask him to do for you? Sort out this. Heal that, mend this heart, remove that guilt, that shame, sort out this situation, whatever it is. He's here by his spirit right now. The resurrected king is in this place right now. He's calling you by name. Some of you in this room have known the truth, have walked in the truth and have walked away. Jesus is calling you back right now by name. Right now, by name, I've done this, I've done that. He knows what you've done. He loves you just the same. Some of you have grown up in church and you've been dragged along at Easter's and Christmases and the occasional other awkward moment. Jesus is calling you by name right now in this place. There's a moment of repentance, which is a confession. I'm following my own way. I'm not following you and I'm going to turn now. I'm going to follow you. There's a moment right now to do that. Jesus, I confess that I have not followed you and I am not. I'm lost in my sin 
I'm lost in my brokenness. I want to renounce it. I want to turn. I want to turn to you and I want new life to course through these veins. I'm buried, but I want life. I'm lost, but I want to be found. I'm in darkness, but I want light. Jesus, come rescue me. For some of us, we know we're saved, but we've not been walking in the good of resurrection power. Oh, Jesus, may I walk in it now. Despair, sorrow, grief, injustice, they do not have the last word, and I do not believe them to, and I turn and fix my eyes on you now. For your glory and my good. Thank you.